Thanks for joining us at Keys for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers to discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word keys for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with a code word keys. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on Keys for SLPs for this episode. Keys to expanding the role of SLPs and AUDs in sports concussion management. I am your host, Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. I am the host of Keys for SLPs and receive compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I have no non-financial disclosures to report. Dr. Tabia Pope is the founder, president, and CEO of Head to Speech Incorporated, a nonprofit organization. Tabia Pope receives compensation for this presentation from speechtherapy.com. Dr. Pope is the chairperson and a board member at Head to Speech Incorporated. And here's a little bit about our guest today. Dr. Tabia Pope is the founding chair, president, and CEO of Head to Speech Incorporated, the leading 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to educational, scientific, and charitable initiatives, which address the impact that post-concussion syndrome has on athletes, speech, language, hearing, and cognitive communication outcomes. Dr. Pope is a health communication specialist, public speaker, continuing education instructor, and host of the On the Neuro podcast. She curates courses, programs, and content across multimedia platforms, utilizing her background in neurogenic disorders, neuropsychology, interprofessional education, collaboration practices, and contemporary professional issues and policies in sports concussion management. She enjoys providing health communications training, personal branding development, and social marketing strategies to brand ambassadors interested in neurotopics, specifically related to brain injury, sports concussion recovery, and overall brain health. Dr. Pope has also served as an adjunct professor and director of rehabilitation, in addition to having research, teaching, and clinical supervisory experiences in adult neurogenic disorders, specifically in traumatic brain injury and sports concussion management in various inpatient and outpatient settings, including a collegiate academic concussion management research program, neurorestorative program, acute care hospital, and skilled nursing and rehabilitation centers. That is quite a list of accomplishments, Dr. Pope. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Mary Beth. I'm so happy to be here with you. 
Well, we are excited to get started. So before we really dive in, can you tell us a little bit about your journey as an SLP and how you decided to specialize in sports concussion management? Yeah, so my journey started when I was at Howard University in my undergraduate degree in communication sciences and in disorders. And my grandfather had a stroke. And from there, I saw my grandmother become a caregiver and was interested in learning more about speech pathology. And so I chose the career path of the medical speech pathologist. And I grew to love traumatic brain injury throughout my schooling. And I wanted to specialize in traumatic brain injury. And when I decided to go into my doctoral program, I wanted to do research in an area that was going to impact my life and my community and those around me. So my husband is a professional basketball player, a former professional basketball player. And I wanted to do it on a topic that in sports concussion management that was going to impact my life. And I now I have two boys who are going to play sports. And so it's really important that Mike, that I provide this information for my community. And that's why I'm, I chose the topic and I'm so happy that I did. I didn't know at the time that sports concussion management was going to evolve the way that it has, but I'm happy to be leading the charge in this area. So how would you describe the knowledge level of an emerging, expanding, and influencing speech language pathologist or audiologist as it relates to sports concussion management? Yeah, so that is a great question, because when I think of sports concussion management, it's such a unique topic, especially to speech pathologists. And so I first start with speech pathologists and ask them to assess their educational needs, their knowledge and attitudes towards sports concussions. And a lot of speech pathologists will say, you know, I have a lot of knowledge at the intermediate or advanced level when it comes to neurogenic disorders like stroke and brain injury, different types of brain injury, but not necessarily with sports, but working with athletes, student athletes, or at the professional level. So I try to break it down. And so everyone can understand where they fit in into their neurogenic disorders knowledge. So emerging would be emerging professional in traumatic brain injury or someone that wants to learn about sports concussions would be at the level of student clinician, someone that is a clinical fellow or a speech pathologist that is transitioning from a school-based speech pathologist to in the healthcare setting. Or you also have that professional who wants to have has a pediatric background, but also wants to have the healthcare background and they want to kind of keep their skills competent, become competent in both areas. And so they're emerging in their knowledge about brain injury and sports concussion management. And then expanding is the speech pathologist who is a master level clinician has probably been in the field for about three to five years and they have worked in various settings. And at that point, you start to think about what is my niche area or what am I going to specialize in? What am I going to hone in my skills? And maybe I'm thinking about getting some advanced training in that area. You've gone through continuing education, gone to different conferences. And so you're at that point where you really want to specialize. And brain injury is an area where you can specialize. You can receive a brain injury specialization. And so from there, 
there, you're thinking about, okay, I have my niche area. I'm going to go get this advanced training, whether it also be a doctorate level, you're thinking about a clinical doctorate or a PhD. You want to advance research in brain injury and sports concussion management. And then you go into being an influencer. Now you have all of that knowledge and training, and now you have to go out and influence the world. You have to speak about sports concussion management. You have to write articles about sports concussion management and brain injury. You may want to also raise awareness and fundraise for sports concussion through Brain Injury Awareness Month and different awareness weeks like Concussion Awareness Week that's in September. And so you have all of this education, but what is it that you do with that education? How do you develop yourself professionally, but also how do you create a brand for yourself so you're that expert, that go-to expert in our field? And so that's how I try to break it up into those three areas. So when speech pathologists come to me and say, well, how do I get started? You know, how do I, I want to advance my knowledge in this area. I don't feel as competent as I do with other brain injuries, but sports concussion is so important to me, or it's an area that I want to start gaining knowledge in. That's how I break it up to them. That's very helpful way to look at it. So thank you for breaking it up that way. I'm sure that has helped a lot of people. So how many years would you say that you have specialized in this area? So I have been in this area for about seven years, I'm going on seven years. I started with medical speech pathology throughout my career as a speech pathologist. So that was like my focus and my specialization. And then I started in my master's level, started to research traumatic brain injury. I had a traumatic brain injury course, which is unique to master's programs because there usually isn't a traumatic brain injury course. And so I was fortunate to have that course where I looked at all facets of traumatic brain injury. And then I chose sports concussion management as my area of research focus. So that's how I kind of segued into sports concussion management. That's great. That is interesting that you had a course just dedicated to traumatic brain injury. Was that an elective course or part of the required courses? It was actually part of our curriculum. And so when I asked speech pathologists to assess their knowledge and attitudes, a lot of them say that they had a course that was a neurogenic course, but the traumatic brain injury information was maybe just a seminar was just a one module of that course. It wasn't an entire course built around traumatic brain injury. So you have speech pathologists that are in programs that may not have that specialization course. And so they need continuing education and they need to actually, they may not also work with student athletes or work with brain injury until they get into well into their career. Like I would say at the expanding phase, because it depends on what placements you have and you may not have a placement in a traumatic brain injury setting. And so I was fortunate to have not only the traumatic brain injury course, but I also worked in as a graduate student a traumatic brain injury neural restorative program. And so I was able to connect what I was learning with the actual application. Well, that's wonderful. And was your graduate work at Howard as well? Yes, yes. So I was able to have all of that experience and also my mentors, my professors were also 
the influencers, ASHA fellows that were also paving the way for adult neurogenic disorders as well. And so I gained a lot of experience just from my mentors and looking at cultural and linguistic diversity and how that impacts our adult neurogenic disorders concentration. Well, that's wonderful. Excellent experience to pave the way. Just out of curiosity, in that course that was dedicated to TBI, at that time, was sports concussion management a big part of that course, or was it mainly other traumatic brain injuries? Right. So that course was a seminar course. And so that was also led by our interests as well. So all of the students in the class, they would do group projects and we would choose what topic we wanted to present on and we wanted to learn about. And so it was a seminar. So we were all learning from each other. And so sports concussions was just part of that course. We learned about different traumatic brain injuries and different ways to treat traumatic brain injury and how to assess traumatic brain injury. The role of a speech pathologist has expanded since then as well in sports concussion management. And so I would say throughout the last decade in our field, specifically, the research has presented itself in our field within the last decade. And we have established that we do have a role in sports concussion management, but now it's how do we elevate what we know and how do we expand and how do we grow and how do we go into other settings and say, you know, we are the experts in brain injury as well. And this is our expertise in cognitive communication and use the interprofessional education and collaboration framework in doing so and that so it can be done. And when you think of the sports concussion management movement, I would say a lot of the protocols for sports concussion management were established in 2010, 2011. And this was in the National Collegiate Athletic Association with the NFL. You started to see lawsuits and you started to see a big push for education on this public health issue, especially with youth sports. So even the Center for Disease Control has health communication campaign called Heads Up, and it focused on youth sports and sports concussion management. So you started to see in the media and the culture overall, you started to see a push for sports concussion management. In 2015, we had the concussion movie with Will Smith. And that was around the time that I was in my doctoral program. And it was like a light bulb that went off with my committee members and those that knew that I was, you know, doing research in this area. And it was like, oh, wow, now it's in the culture, in the media, and now people are starting to talk about it. But did it truly mention the cognitive and communication deficits? No, but at least it was a spark in awareness within the community that you could talk to your husband, your wife, your sister, your brother, your kids about, right? About playing football, contact sports, and the impact that it may have on their brain with chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And so that was just starting the conversation in the public awareness. So now here we are in 2022, and now we're here. And where do we go from there to now? Mm-hmm. I have to say, I am not familiar with that movie. Was that released in theaters or was that? That was. It was a Hollywood movie and it was based on Dr. Amalu, who discovered chronic traumatic encephalopathy in NFL football players. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. Well, it's good that that also served to catapult your research. So yes, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have an opportunity to engage with anyone who produced the movie or was involved with the movie? I haven't. I haven't. But I, within my doctoral program, I had to take cognitive courses. And so I did those courses in health communications and also neuropsychology. So during that time, I was had to really think about how I was going to shape my dissertation and how I was going to disseminate the information that I was learning about cognitive communication. And the best way to do that was through an awareness campaign. And that's how Head to Speech came about, <laughs> was founded, because it started as a health communications initiative. It started as I need to go out into my community and which the community where I was collecting my research. And I wanted to understand Understand the knowledge and attitudes of athletic trainers, of the coaches, of the athletes that I was working with. And so I created a survey and a questionnaire that I used to conduct a focus group at first. So because I started off with a pilot study. And then from that pilot study and that focus group, I was able to use everything that I learned to create my assessment battery for my dissertation. And I was able to collect a bigger sample size for my dissertation when it came to their knowledge and attitudes. And so it really helped me understand the community and understand what they knew about a speech pathologist. So my participants were at the collegiate level. So a lot of my participants had been playing football for about 10 years prior to their collegiate career. And so when we think about speech pathology, we usually think about traumatic brain injury being something that a medical speech pathologist would be interested in. But brain injury in itself is a public health problem. It's a silent epidemic, especially sports concussion management. So it reaches pediatric and adults, right? So when you think of youth sports and you think about that, what were the athlete that was playing sports, youth sports, what was their interaction with a speech pathologist during that time if they sustained a concussion? A lot of the athletes would say, well, I only went to a speech pathologist because I was working on the letter S through articulation. And so we just also have to change the way that the sports community views a speech pathologist in our discipline of what we are able to help them with and able to treat and treat and assess. So if you have a collegiate athlete who's had 10 years of experience already playing sports, we know that we need to go back and we need to train pediatric speech pathologists in brain injury and sports concussion management and what they can do at that level for return to learning in the educational system, whether it be through IEPs and 504 plans for traumatic brain injury. Also going out and talking to parents and talking to the nurses and athletic trainers that are at the schools, talking to their principals and teachers about students who may not necessarily be on their caseload, but that they may need to identify because they are playing sports and that they may have a concussion or going through a protocol, concussion protocol. Or do those concussion protocols even exist at their school or in their state? Because each state is supposed to have a concussion protocol law in place, right? And how they deal with concussion management. So we have to look at 
the athlete throughout the continuum of their life. So you have the pediatric speech pathologist. You may also have now the medical speech pathologist who is starting to assess and treat the student athlete during their college years all the way through their adulthood, right? Because they're just starting their life, their economic earning potential once they graduate college. And a lot of athletes are not going to be drafted to the NFL or the NBA, and they're going to be going into vocational training. And so they may have post-concussion syndrome and have cognitive communication deficits that we still have to track, right? Because it's going to follow them. They may have early onset dementia, may lead to Alzheimer's disease. There are different cognitive communication deficits that they may have that may impact their return to work as well. So we have to not just look at the student athlete, but also throughout their life and come together as a profession and train everyone on this public health issue. Right. You really need interprofessional collaboration and public awareness. As you're saying this, I am aware of concussion protocols in my state at the high school, middle school, and high school level, but not at the youth level. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I don't think that an actual protocol, whereas there's a pre-test and a post-test. So can you talk a little bit about that where people might not be familiar? Like for example, for middle schoolers and high schoolers in my state, they take a pre-concussion protocol test before the beginning of each season or school year. Can you talk about a little bit what those are about? The concussion protocol, you want to look at the pre and you want to be able to compare, right? So throughout the season, so you have a pre-assessment and during the season, you want to have checkups and symptom checklists, and you want to be able to see if there's a change in cognitive function. And that's why you give a post-assessment. That's essentially, they have a lot of neuropsychologists use assessments that are the pre and post test. And also the athletic trainer uses symptom checklists to provide that in sideline test as well. So they also have sideline test and then those neural psychology batteries. It started off with a paper and pencil test, and now it's a computerized test that they use called the impact testing. I believe that speech pathologists, we should use speech language pathology assessments because we are looking at cognition and language differently from a neuropsychologist and from an athletic trainer. Our background, that's what's unique about our background. We are looking at the brain and the frontal lobe and executive functioning. And we're looking at those areas differently than other disciplines. And so we have to use assessments that look at Auditory processing, auditory processing for audiologists is an area that is expanding. Their role is expanding now within sports concussion management. So not necessarily looking at hearing, but also a hearing assessment is also good to do as well. But incorporating auditory processing in an assessment battery, incorporating social communication, pragmatic language, incorporating executive functioning and reasoning skills, incorporating how do we assess academic skills as well. So if an athlete has a concussion, how is it impacting their return to learning? How is it impacting their note-taking skills, their organization, their sequencing? And it's usually they're going to be going through a protocol 
that is going to be a stepwise protocol that they're going to have some cognitive rest, but there's going to be a stepwise protocol that they go through and that's going to get them to return to learning and return to playing. So each school is supposed to have a concussion protocol in place that outlines the way that they are going to return to learn and return to play. This may be different in each state and in each school. So that's why it's important that the speech pathologists understand what's happening in their community because those protocols may be different from my state to your state or does it even exist? And so that's what head to speech is really we're talking about and head to speech is coming up with standardized protocols and what each state is doing to address this obviously the silent epidemic for sports concussions. And so that's very important. That's the expanding role of a speech pathologist is to look at, look at the laws and the protocols and how are we implemented our discipline? How are we included, our profession included in these protocols? Because you started to see a lot of protocols that didn't mention a speech pathologist. How do you not mention a speech pathologist in this protocol? And so just the inclusion in itself impacts referrals, right? Our referrals, that referral pipeline. So if a physician, say you have a concussion and you go to an emergency department or you go to a physician, that physician needs to also understand the role of a speech pathologist and audiologist to make the referral, to give you a doctor's note, to have that referral slip. The athletic trainer is working directly with the student athlete and the coach. They're the ones that have to educate the student athlete on all of the options that they have to improve their cognition and improve their return to learning. So for athletic trainers to not be educated in this area is detrimental to our pipeline of referrals, of timely identification and counseling and preventative education. Speech pathologists need to have preventative education and be involved in that process because If you're educated from the beginning of the season, you're going to have a heightened awareness of if things don't feel right, right? If the symptoms that you're having, I'm having these cognitive issues, but knowing where to go for the resources, knowing who that professional is, knowing that if I can't think of the word you're experiencing word finding. I'm not going crazy. It helps with my mental health as well, right? I know that there is this symptom that I am experiencing with post-concussion syndrome is something that other student athletes around the world may be experiencing too. You're not alone. It increases the awareness and that also supports them as well through that awareness process. Well, exactly. We can't help despite all the education and experience. If we don't get the referral, we can't help. Another one, of course, you said the emergency room doctor, but you know, usually from the emergency room, they are released to their pediatrician or their primary care provider. That's a real opportunity for SLPs. They might not have that direct relationship within the schools because in the schools, the referral would come somewhere else, but in private practice, certainly that the referrals could come from the primary care physician. If you're in private practice, this is a great area for you to expand your private practice because if you're a private practice that also is 
interprofessional, you have OTs, PTs, and speech pathologists, or your private practice that specializes in pediatrics and adults, this is a great way to merge both populations with brain injury. And so it also helps you to expand your awareness within your community. And I always say community because communities look different communities. You have some communities where it's all about sports, you know, Friday night, it's about sports, you know, Sunday nights, people are getting together. It's a cultural, it's very cultural. People don't want to talk about sports concussions for numerous reasons. It's a Debbie Downer. No one wants to talk about the sports concussion that happened in the game. You know, they want to focus on the winning, right? People want to focus on winning, but focusing on sports concussions helps everyone in your community with this silent epidemic. We can't not talk about it, you know, and all these communities are different. So you have to understand what your community needs help in. That's why I really want speech pathologists and audiologists to expand their knowledge area in their community, raise awareness in their community. And you only do that by going out and asking, how do you feel about this issue? You know, what are your attitudes toward it? It's going to help with reporting of concussions, because if you're aware and you know who to go to, you're going to be more likely to report that concussion than go unreported because concussion goes unreported. And then now you're at risk of a second impact and your brain If you've had one concussion, you're more susceptible to have more concussions. You're putting your health at risk. If you go back into the game and you have a concussion and you may have another concussion, sustain another concussion, or you may also die because it's that serious. And so you need to know the ramifications. Another reason why student athletes don't report concussions is also for social economic reasons as well. They don't want to lose their scholarships. They in it's tied to their economic development, right, of how they live. And so coaches may not even report because there's a conflict of interest there. And so even in sports concussion management, we also have to deal with conflict of interest. And that's why I think that as a speech pathologist and audiologist, we can have an impartial view in uh, athletic department, and we can provide cognitive communication assessments and screenings because we're not necessarily a part of that direct care with the student athlete. We can be in a consultant that comes in and provides another perspective if our perspective is wanted, right? So we also have to make, we also have to make sure (laughs) that our perspective is wanted because everyone may not want to know our perspective for those reasons of conflict of interest, they're focused on winning games and not necessarily the overall brain health and overall well-being of student athletes, which it should be like that. <laughs> it should be that way where entities and institutions care about their student athletes' overall well-being. But sometimes you may have that resistance and that's why. Yes, exactly. And then there's also the very mild concussion Tell us about SLP services with mild concussions. When we think of mild concussion, mild concussion versus moderate to severe concussion, that can be very scary because a mild concussion, like I said, you can have a second impact to your brain and that you can now have 
multiple concussions. So just because you've had one concussion doesn't mean that you're not at risk of another one. So if you've been diagnosed with a concussion, doesn't mean that you've had subconcussive impacts to your brain. And so we have to think about, yes, you may be diagnosed with a concussion, but you also maybe have subconcussive impacts that may not be diagnosed. And you may not have the loss of consciousness. Doesn't mean that you haven't sustained a concussion. Doesn't mean that you are at risk. And so mild concussion, the way that I view mild concussion is through coaching. And you start to see speech pathologists who are expanding their role in this area are starting to call themselves brain health coaches because mild concussion or mild traumatic brain injury is all about lifestyle changes too and how you use compensatory strategies for your lifestyle, how it's all about functional activities throughout your activities of daily living and how you use those strategies and incorporate that into your lifestyle. So you may have a mild traumatic brain injury, but does not mean that you do not need strategies to help you get through your day. It's about compensating. It's about overcoming the fears that you have around the stigma of asking for help, getting your family to understand that you need help understanding that you have an invisible injury. Others may not understand this injury. And that's why it's important to have support groups that you know that you are not alone in your recovery process. We need that for mild traumatic brain injury. You see a lot of mild traumatic brain injury protocols in the military. But what we haven't seen yet is those protocols applied to the sports concussion population to athletes. And so there are protocols out there for mild traumatic brain injury, but we need to modify and also develop assessments and treatment protocols that are specifically for athletes. Why would I want to go to a treatment session or to speech pathology or your private practice when the tools that you're using don't necessarily align with my lifestyle? You want to be represented in assessments. You want those assessments and those treatment protocols to address the issues that are unique to your lifestyle. And so we call it brain health coaching. And also at Head to Speech, we call ours the brain workout as well, where you're looking at also interprofessional and co-treatment. So working with physical therapists and occupational therapists for dual tasking. And dual tasking is where you work on a cognitive activity with a physical activity, and that's called dual tasking. And so it for the mild traumatic brain injury population, it's going to challenge that population instead of just sitting down doing worksheets. That's not going to be functional because that population wants to get back to playing their sport. So you have to, I always say, meet the athlete where they are. We have to, through our expanding role as a speech pathologist, we have to go where athletes are. We can't sit on the sidelines and we can't sit in our private practices. We can't sit 
in our association and expect athletes to come to us. We have to go to them. We have to train ourselves in this population because they need us. And it's our responsibility, quite frankly, in our profession and in our duties as speech pathologists to go out and to make this happen. And so when you say go out and make this happen, what would you suggest for an SLP who is now verging on an influencer and who has a specialization in this area? Where would you suggest that they go? I guess maybe this would also be for an emerging. Yeah, expanding uh, and expanding and emerging. So I believe that a speech pathologist that is now expanding their knowledge in brain injury and sports concussion management, as well as now as an influencer, is looking to become an influencer, would go to athletic trainers and physical therapists and start the interprofessional education and collaborative process. If you are at a university, this is the time to have your student organizations go to other student organizations and go to other departments and have these educational opportunities, different simulations. You can have case-based learning using case studies and bringing the athletic training department and the communication sciences and disorders department together for case-based learning through cases and simulations. And so now we're employing the interprofessional education framework. And then we're coming together and doing a collaborative activity We're working in our disciplines, but we have to learn how to collaborate, how to come to a round table, so to speak, and think about these issues from everyone's point of view. And that's how we as a profession can move our movement along is having a seat at the table, because when these protocols are developed and when these assessment batteries are put into place, We have to have a seat at the table to tell those that are in charge of that department or department heads that we have a role in this area. So it's looking at those that using a kind of a top down approach, because you have to start with those that have the influence in this area that influence their department and asking them, well, how can our department provide you with education and awareness? How can we be of benefit to you, right? And then you come together and you have this collaborative experience. That's at the university level. I believe at the university level, students, graduate students are looking for these types of opportunities, right? And so you can have different fundraisers and different speakers come. You can do challenges within different departments together. And so have that collaboration at the university level. At your professional level, I believe that you can talk to your colleagues about raising awareness. So using awareness months to talk about brain injury awareness and sports concussion and kind of think about Alzheimer's disease and how athletes, because usually sometimes too, you might have 
patients that are former athletes, right? And identifying your patient caseload or what is their background. I think that we don't ask our patients enough. What did you do before as your occupation? What did you do? They may have played a sport. And so you can incorporate sports into your activities, your cognitive communication activities, even at a skilled nursing and rehab level as well. And you can do challenges with your colleagues. There are different ways that we can go out in our community and make a change right now. Well, thank you. Dr. Pope, can you share with us some ideas on how SLPs can get involved in this area, both as far as raising awareness, as well as their role in actual therapy or coaching with the patients or clients? Yes. I think that starting with students, I think that students create projects all the time as their students. And I always tell my students to think about the projects that you are creating and the reason behind what you're doing. So if you are in your adult neurogenic disorders class and you have the opportunity to do a project on sports concussion management or traumatic brain injury, really utilize that time to do your research and to think about how you're going to raise awareness with that project. So you may not use that project at that point in time, and you may be turning it in, thinking you're turning it in for a grade. But how many times have you gone back once you became, I would say, more than expanding? You've been in the field for about three to five years. And then you go back and look at your assignments and say, wow, like I did this assignment. I really, you have a different perspective on the assignment. So think about how this assignment can grow throughout the years. And so if you are interested in traumatic brain injury and sports concussion management, utilize your assignments to expand your knowledge, but also how you can become a content creator. Because remember when I said that we need more modifications and developments in the area of a sports concussion management. So how do we assess And how do we provide treatment to athletes? And that's something that we have to start thinking more about in this area. You want to maybe start interviewing some of the athletes that you know in your family. I mean, we know a lot of athletes in our families that have played uh, sports or playing sports that may have a sports concussion history and then ask them to share their story with you. And then you can also think about ask them about cognitive communication. You can educate them. So starting in your family, starting on your campus is a great way. Starting in your community is a great way to start to raise awareness and also share stories of what has happened to their cognitive communication and how they've overcome those challenges that they face. So using projects is a good way. Also, if you are an expanding speech pathologist or audiologist and you're at your job, you can also utilize the meetings that you're in, your interprofessional meetings or meetings with your colleagues to also raise awareness and to create a project too together that raises awareness for Brain Injury Awareness Month. I would also use 
fact sheets so you can create infographics and you can create posters that are always good, like pamphlets and going out into sporting events. And you can have an informational and you can provide, like, especially if you're a private practice, that would be a great time to go to a sporting event or to a health fair and to provide information in this area. And it also is a great conversational starter too. So you can start conversations surrounding sports concussion. You can identify professional athletes that have also had sports concussions and kind of utilize that information to raise awareness. So there's different ways that you can utilize posters and fact sheets and also social media. So, you know, we all have social media. You can create social media flyers to raise awareness and use those key awareness weeks. I always come back to those awareness weeks because that's the way that we can create themes around the information that we're trying to share. A lot of people do great at that with Instagram reels and videos. I would also suggest that. Having a great debate. I mean, who doesn't like a great debate? And so you can have one side, a pro and a con to sports concussions and to returning to learning You can have pros and cons of not reporting, unreporting sports concussions. And why would a person report it? Why wouldn't a person report the concussion and kind of go back and forth with that great debate? There's other topics that you can also debate on as well. If you are in the stage of an emerging speech pathologist, you also may want to go out to sports medicine practices and ask them if you can see their assessment process in their treatment process as well. And then you can go back and you can create your own protocol of how you view sports medicine and the role of a speech pathologist in sports concussion management. And you can share that protocol with your community and you can go and talk to sports medicine professionals and let them know that this is how I, as a speech pathologist, how I view these practices. And they may want to also integrate speech pathology into their practice as well. So it's a good outpatient When you're thinking along the lines of outpatient rehab, that's a great way to incorporate sports medicine into your outpatient practices. You can have meet and greets with other allied health professionals. That's a great way to encourage that interprofessional education and collaboration. I would also say doing service projects. Service projects are a great way to have that interprofessional education and collaboration and clothing campaigns. So creating those conversational starters, putting them on T-shirts. And that's what I'm doing here at Head to Speech is creating those conversational starters and creating campaigns around traumatic brain injury and around sports concussion management. Those are excellent ideas. Now, you have been in this field, specialization, you said, for about seven years. And so you probably are working with a lot of different influencers in this area. So are you aware of any influencers who are actually like employed by a sports medicine specialty as part of their team, or are they usually on a consultative basis? Usually on a consultative basis. I believe that at the university level, there are speech pathologists that are involved at the university level with different departments. 
I'm not aware of an actual speech pathologist that works on a professional team alongside an athletic trainer. That's a great question. There may be, but I haven't come across that yet. But I think that the expanding role of a speech pathologist as an influencer is to get to that point where we are right there with physical therapy and occupational therapy when it comes to professional sports and even semi-pro sports as well. So the role of a speech pathologist is expanding in that way. But I think getting even as a consultant, I think would be a major improvement in our referral process to be viewed as a consultant and just to be able to be included in the decision-making process and included in the intervention process, but from our standpoint and our perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So at the collegiate level, are you aware of SLPs being employed by the athletic department and that that is their sole focus is sports concussion management, like a PT or a trainer or most college programs have intervention specialists? Right. I'm not aware of an actual intervention specialist that has been employed by athletic training department. What I am in the process of doing is going to each university and providing that type of service of going there and providing them with the information that they need to get that started. That I'm not aware of yet because I'm still in the process of expanding the role. And so just in my own, I can't first say like there is someone that's actually in that role, that employment role. There may be, but I can't tell you who that person is. And I do know that there are speech pathologists that are at universities that are employed at different healthcare institutions that serve as concussion experts. Now, do I know if they're actually employed by these different Leagues, I'm not sure of. I have yet to see that happen. Um, okay, <laughs> but I do want to see that happen. Yeah, I do. Yes, 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 right. Well, that, that's it, the role. It, that that that's that's the goal is to to have that happen. But I have yet to see a speech pathologist that has truly been alongside a PTOT and athletic trainer working, like employed in that setting. I think more so in an outpatient setting, like the closest thing you would see now is outpatient settings where there may be a speech pathologist there that is, you know, is working in an outpatient setting. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but I think more so on the outpatient rehab setting, than it may be on a actual professional league level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Most of them do have someone assigned to the team to help with academic concerns as well as the trainer. So it would be interesting, especially for like a football team. There mm-hmm. certainly seems to be a role for uh, some of these football teams have a hundred young people mm-hmm. playing on them and concussions do happen. It seems like there would be a role at least in season for there's definitely a role. And I think also with the special student services. So every university has the special student services department. And that's definitely 
also another avenue for speech pathologists to become that type of specialist is to provide maybe consulting to that department and then serve as the consultant through that avenue as well. Academic advisors, even adding that to your title also as an academic advisor is also another bonus too, of another way to promote your services as well, I would say, and get involved if you're at that level and wanting to be involved at the collegiate level as well. Well, that's an Or vocational answer. trainers. There are also vocational trainers too. So if you're looking at return to learning, you can also work with vocational counselors, social workers, those type of academic and vocational counselors and trainers as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we are getting close to our time. I do have a question for you. Can you think of a case study of a athlete with whom you've worked who had a really successful outcome because athlete had services from a speech language pathologist or collaborated with a speech language pathologist? Yeah. So the athletes that I worked with are at the collegiate level. Think of one athlete who was a football player and came to me looking for compensatory strategies for return to learning. And we worked on word finding. We worked on memory strategies and utilizing his cell phone. Turns out that he was already compensating for his memory deficits. He just needed the, when I talked about brain health coaching, it's kind of that coaching that goes through those memory strategies and helping you actually integrate those strategies into your academic life. And so we went through note-taking skills and we went through those different reasoning skills and challenging scenarios for pragmatic skills. I would say that that was like the most rewarding definitely time like through my experience when I was doing my research is really meeting student athletes and coming and providing them with the awareness of a speech pathologist and providing them with the assessment battery, but also counseling them to utilize those strategies and looking at their outcomes on how those strategies could impact their life moving forward. Okay. And really providing that support and education to give them the confidence to go forward um, yes. with some of these challenges that were yeah. caused by the concussion. At the collegiate level, you may not have formal treatment sessions because you may be doing like the pre and post assessments, but you have that time with the student athlete to make a difference because you should be providing them with counseling and education and listening to what's happening to them throughout their protocol. And you can recognize those changes when you're following the athlete and then providing them with those strategies as you go through the protocol as well. Is there anything else that you wanted to add today? Well, I just wanted to just thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm here also to talk about the On the Neural podcast that is also launching as well. I'm excited to launch the On the Neural podcast because we really 
diving into neurogenic related topics, specifically in brain injury and sports concussion management, and asking those questions of where do you fit in neurogenic disorders using the emerging, expanding, and influencer model. So everyone knows where the, where they fit in. And looking at performance, how to assess your neurogenic performance. And so you can look at your performance and then come with an innovative idea. As you grow within your performance, you're going to grow. Your passion is going to grow for neurogenic disorders. And you're going to come up with this innovative idea that you may want to have a niche area and how do you develop that niche area and that innovative idea to accelerate your professional development in your personal brand. And so that may look as like, you may want to become a researcher. You may want to create content. You may want to become a course content creator. And so there's different avenues that you can use to utilize your performance and then also utilize that innovative idea that you have in neurogenic topics. And so we explore those ideas we talk about different interprofessional, we have different interprofessionals that come on the podcast, talk about auditory processing, talking about brain health coaching and mental toughness, because we don't talk about emotional intelligence enough in athletic training and with athletes. And that emotional cognitive development is so important as well. And we talk about neuropsychology. And so there's different professionals that we can work with and that we have a perspective as a speech pathologist and audiologist, but we also need to learn how to use that interprofessional education and collaborative model to provide student athletes and professional and former athletes with the treatment that they need as well. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit more about On the Neuro? Have you already released it or is that an upcoming podcast? So that's an upcoming podcast that's on the Neuro podcast is being released on speechtherapypd.com. And I'm so excited to join the family. (laughs) Oh, well, that's great. Well, we are so excited. And when do you know when that's going to be released? That's going to be released on May 4th. So we're starting a mini series and that is going to be released on May 4th. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to On the Neuro. And I know you have several wonderful guests lined up. So I'm really excited to listen to those. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs, providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Keep up the good work.